service. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, and it says this. Jesus speaking, he says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. How many of you like me could stop there and be extremely frustrated at Jesus? All right. This piece of scripture that we're about to read is probably one of the most frustrating pieces of scripture that you, that you will read. Love your enemies, do good to those who, who hate you. Stop! Are you kidding me? Bless those who curse you. And then he pushes it even further. He says, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And to clarify that word, because I know that word for everybody can be like really harsh and hot sometimes, um, the word that Jesus is using when he employs that that idea of sinners is he's simply saying anybody that wants to live outside the the parameters of kingdom engagement, all right? When you you live outside of what the gospel offers to us. So he's simply Jesus is saying, look, people in general, it's easy to love those who love you, right? It's easy to do those things, but he's saying, look, I'm going to present to you a different way of doing life, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Today, as we continue on in our series, Social Space, I want to speak to you from the subject, Beware the Choya. Beware the choya as we deal with how to love difficult and hard to love people. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, that it's active, that it's powerful, that it has the ability to change us. And so we're here today to be changed. We're here today to experience your presence. We're here today to build our lives upon your word. And so I pray that in these few moments that you would speak to us, that you would teach us, that you would guide us, you would transform us. Our hearts are soft and ready for your word, and our ears are listening. So speak to us now. God, may they be your words, not my words. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. Do I got any golfers in here? People who love to golf? People who love to golf? Do I have anybody who hates to golf? Just... How many of you just believe that golf is the dumbest thing ever invented? Okay, some of you. (laughs) Perfect. Um, I love to golf. There, there's two things that I'm, that I'm getting uh, better and better at, more proficient at, and they're my hobbies. I love to fly fish. Um, this is a new one, and I love to golf. And golf is just one of those things I get to get out with my brother and other friends of mine. And, and, and I love, I'm an incessant tinker, and I love technical things. And so golf is one of those things you can always be tinkering and, and, and toying around with, um, with. But we lived in Phoenix uh, for six years before we moved here, uh, six, almost seven years before we moved here to plant, uh, plant the well. And uh, that's where I really fell in love with golf, because in Phoenix, uh, you can golf all the time. I mean, there's, there's really like only one season to Phoenix, hot, hotter, hell. And so, <laughs> but you can golf in any of it. And so, um, 
So I, I fell in love with the, with the sport and uh, got pretty proficient at it. Um, I didn't get to do it as much as I would want it to, but I, I got to get out there quite a bit. And I love the beauty of, of golf courses. I love the beauty of being out there. Uh, Utah's got amazing golf courses as well, just being, especially ones in the mountains and everything like that. I just love being out there. But there was something very interesting that I noticed about golfing in Phoenix. There were always signs when I first started to get on the course that um, I didn't really understand until I became a little bit more native to the area. And there was always the two signs you would see. It would say, beware of rattlesnakes, which we could all get down with, right? You're like, yes, I will beware of rattlesnakes. And then there's another sign that says, beware of choya, all right? And some of you may not understand or know what choya is. The choya cactus is going to come up on the screen right now. There it is. Um, that's the choya cactus, now, we can all agree theologically that God created the heavens and the, worth, uh, heavens and the earth and the world, but I think there's two things in life that, that God passed on to the devil, choya and cats. And so they, <laughs> to, to create, I'm an equal opportunity offender, just so you know, if you're part of this church, um, I will call everything out. Um, but uh, that's, that's the choya cactus. And if you've, ever, if you've ever been around one, you know what, what it's capable of doing. And so one particular afternoon, I was golfing with some friends, and I hit a really bad shot, shanked it, went all the way right, went to the out-of-bounds area, and I decided that instead of taking a, an extra shot, instead of taking my penalty, I was going to hit it from the desert. And uh, I had to negotiate this shot in a very interesting way because my golf ball was right around this area of a cluster of choya. And so the only way to get a shot at my ball is I had to kind of step over the choya and kind of do this thing and brace myself and hope for God's grace upon my life at that point. And so I went, I took the shot and I went for it and I slipped with my back foot and this foot, bink, into the choya. And it was at that moment where I realized why they created signs saying, beware of choya. Choya are interesting cactus because once they hit you, they don't just hit you, then they want to spite you, and their little prong, once it goes in you, it bends in, and it locks into your skin. So when you pull it, it's not just like, oh, I pulled a little sliver out. You're yanking your skin off of your body. It's the worst experience possible. I'm going to get graphic in church today, just so you know. This is actually how animals will, will die if they have a run-in with the choya cactus is because they will literally, they will get it all over them and they can't get it out. They can't pick it out. And what's even worse about them is they're like Velcro. So at first, like you think you can kick it away, but it, like it sticks to your shoe and then you try to kick that away and you got more all over you and then soon you're running out of the bushes just screaming with choya all over you, right? It's the worst cactus ever. I still don't know why it's around. I'm going to ask Jesus about it when I get to heaven. But here's the point. Come to find out in life and notice that people are like choyas. You ever notice that? People can be hard sometimes. People can be prickly sometimes. People can be downright evil at times. Right? And I've come to find out that people are a lot like these, these choyas. How many of you would agree with me that the world would be a better place if it wasn't for people? Right? Some of you are asking right now, is this church? What are we talking about in here? How <laughs> are supposed to be positive and loving and encouraging? <laughs> we are. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Here's, from a biological level, what the Choya person is. 
The person or persons that are extra difficult, extra time-consuming, overtly negative, hurtful, bitter, unforgiving, snide, self-centered, and generally have no consideration for the well-being, atmosphere, overall outcome, and condition of anyone's life but their own, including but not limited to neighbors, friends, colleagues, family, family family-in-law, spouses, and even you. It's the choya. It's the choya person. And I've come to find out in life that when it comes to following the initiatives of Jesus, it can be very difficult at times, especially when it comes to these type of people. How many of you would agree with me, come on, let's be real, that people are hard to deal with sometimes, right? But yet Jesus offers us this paradigm shift when he says, listen, I need you to love those who hate you. Now it's at this point where I want to argue with Jesus, because I don't want to love people who, who hate me. I want to love people who love me, and I want to hate people who hate me. Come on, somebody. Don't judge me with your eyes like that. I, you're shaking yes on the inside. <laughs> and I think for so long we don't handle these, these, this, this subject matter, especially when it comes to church, because we want to keep everything nice. We're like, Christians are just loving, and we love everybody and everything like that. But that's not the truth. The truth of the matter is is that we are all human beings in process, and we have the hardest time doing this, right? Because if we didn't, the world would be a much better place than what we live in right now. And that's the rub on this whole thing. That's what creates friction with this whole idea that Jesus says, love those who, who hate you and abuse you and destroy you and bother you and are prickly. Love the choyas of the world. But realize that as much as there's choyas in your life, you might be a choya in somebody else's life. And so we've got to figure out how to, to do this. And I don't know if you're like me, but I get frustrated at Jesus sometimes. Because there's those moments when you read scripture and you, and, and, and you understand, okay, Jesus is the son of God, fully man, fully God, and he does this so well. But then there's portions of scripture where people are being knuckleheads and Jesus, you think in that moment's about to like justify it all, right? You're like, okay, here he comes. He's actually gonna hate them. And then he doesn't. Then you're like, why? Just once, Jesus, give me permission. Just once. And he says, no, I'm not going to give you permission. I'm actually going to take it a step further. I'm going to double down on this thing, and I'm going to say, love your enemies. Love those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And you're like, this is backwards. This makes no sense. How do I do this? Well, I'm glad you're in church this morning, because we're going to discover how. (laughs) how we do that. But let's first look at what these, these choyas in our life are. In Luke chapter 6, 27 through 36, Jesus identifies for us what the choya cactus looks like in our life, the choya people in our life. The first one is this, enemies. Come on, everybody say enemies. 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 Now, we have to be very careful with this, this word and look at the Bible in its context to help us really understand it. See, the word used for enemies is better defined as those who have great hostility towards you. We can see the word enemy and think only in combat terms, but to do so would simply be missing what Jesus is is saying. Because what happens is when we look at it in just one side, one dimension in like kind of combat terms, then we dismiss that everything Jesus is saying to us. It becomes then easy for you and I to say this, oh yeah, I can love my enemy, no problem, Jesus, because I don't have enemies. But the problem is, is that the word that he employs is so much bigger and so much greater and so much grander than this idea of, of combat. See, Jesus is more directing his definition to those people who we classify in our life as enemies simply because there is hostility between us. 
Come on, have you ever had hostility between you and someone else? Have you ever had hostility? And this is where it gets personal. Even more, I think if we're honest, we can all think of these moments where we treated someone in our life or defined them as an enemy because of the apparent hostility. And this is where Jesus then says, love your enemy. It can be that coworker that's up for the same promotion. Come on, somebody. It can be our spouses, our friends, or even the people that we go to church with. Because real life can develop hostility between those who are closest to us. Last week, my wife and I, we talk real around here. You'll get used to that if you're in here for any amount of time. My wife and I, we were each other's enemy, right? It was, it was like, Rrr. she was my enemy. And I'd like round the corner and have to like army roll to make sure she didn't come at me. <laughs> we were enemies. Why? Because we were having a little bit of a holy debate <laughs> for a holy extended amount of time. <laughs> to which we were both being holy in our pride. Come on, that doesn't work, right? And so we're having this, this, this conversation and we were frustrated at each other and there was a lot of stuff going on and, and we were pressed on every side and we were frustrated with some circumstances and some situations and because of external things, all of a sudden the internal hostility arose. Come on, I know that I'm not the only one that deals with real life around here, right? And so it was in that moment that we became each other's enemies and I realized, man, it's so easy and so fast we can be each other's enemy. We're not, at, we're not in combat with each other, but now I marked her as the enemy. She marked me as the enemy, and then we had to stop, step back a few, and realize, wait a second, we're not each other's enemies here. And I watch marriages, and I watch relationships, and I watch friendships, and I watch churches, and I watch uh, all these different relationships that we have, all the social space in our life, be affected by this reality right here. And this is why Jesus says, love your enemies. Love your enemies, because you're going to have them. The interesting thing is that this, this word, enemies, is actually the softest part of this progression. It's the beginning. He actually, it's actually easy to love your enemies when you understand it like this, but it gets more difficult as you start to define these things out, because the second one he talks about is haters. Come on, we shout haters. Haters, right? Seems to be a pretty common catchphrase for our culture these days, haters going to hate, Right? The word used here is best defined as active, listen to this, active ill will. That's crazy. In other words, it goes beyond hostility to an active ill will. To have an active ill will is someone who then performs tasks specifically designed to purposely make your life and others' lives more difficult. You ever met that person before? Come on, you ever had that person in your life? <laughs> the hater. It's the ill will when their desire is to hurt you now. Not only are we enemies, but now their desire is to hurt you. And this can happen, in, once again, in any relationship. I want to paint with a very broad brush here because I don't want anybody to escape the teaching this morning. This can happen in any conversation when we become, as spouses, each other's enemy. And then all of a sudden we turn into a hater when you say that thing that you know is only going to dig further and dig deeper. And you want to say it because you're just frustrated. Or that person in your life who now, oh man, and I just want to, I want to say this so I can say it, just to say it. Or that person on Facebook who you just want to like delete. Instead of deleting, you just want to say what it is that you want to say back to them. Haters. They're intentionally trying to hurt. But here's the thing about hurt people, is hurt people hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. 
Someone wrote this, an author wrote this. He said, hurt people hurt people. We're not being judgmental by separating ourselves from such people, but we should do so with compassion. Compassion is defined as a keen awareness of the suffering of another coupled with a desire to see it relieved. People hurt others as a result of their own inner strife and pain. Avoid the reactive response of believing they are bad. They already think so and are acting that way. They aren't bad, they are damaged, and they deserve compassion. Note that compassion is an internal process, an understanding of the painful and troubled road trod by another. It is not trying to fix or change that person. So what Jesus is saying is haters are going to hate. The question is, is can you love them? Come on, somebody. Can you love them? Remember, this is the theme of this entire series, our social space series, is that the gospel is worked out in the context of relationship. See, it's one thing to say, I want to live out the gospel in my life. I want to live out these things that Jesus teaches in my life. And it's easy to do that if we remove people from our lives. It's hard to live out the gospel when you have people in your lives. Because that's where the gospel really fleshes itself out. That's when I'm called to love. That's when I'm called to forgive. That's when I'm called to give grace. That's when I'm called to just hold my words and even though I just want to verbally assault you with them right now. Right? That's the gospel. The third group of people, the third choya in our life is destroyers. Come on, shout destroyers. This is an interesting one. Jesus says to bless those who curse you. Right? The definition is found in Jesus' injunction to bless. See, the Bible is filled with declarations that speak to the power of our words, the things spoken over our lives and the things that we say and allow to be said to us. See, for Jesus to talk about those who curse you, he was speaking directly to those people in our lives whose words have the ability to bring destruction. And we all have those people in our lives, don't we? This is an especially important one because of the close quarters that these words are usually received. You see, destructive words are not usually received from those who are distant in our lives, but rather very up close and personal. Those who are the closest to us have the ability to cut the most because they know more about who we are and how it really hurts us when you say those things. See, they know our insecurities, our fears, our failures, our hang-ups, and greatest desires. To curse someone denotes a certain familiarity because more destruction is caused. My wife, she has the strongest words that can ever happen in my life. She has the ability to say the most powerful and uplifting things to me and the most destructive and damaging things to me. Now, dudes in general, if I can talk to the guys in the house, in general, broad brush, guys are affirmation guys, all right? We love to be affirmed. We're, we love to be how, told how awesome we are and how this and so and so. We're, we're words of affirmation people. In general, dudes, dudes are, believe it or not, we're not the best at communication, but we love it when people communicate to us. And say things about us. We, we love it. It's, it's amazing. And so for my wife, she's got the most power in my life. I'm like a cat around her ankles when she affirms me. Just, it's awesome. Some of you are like, I did not expect that in church this morning. <laughs> so I love it when she, she affirms me and, and she speaks into my life and it's this amazing, beautiful thing. But at the same time, I don't know if you know, as, as, as great as she can be at affirming me, her words carry the most destructive weight in my life as well. She can say things that in an instant turn me over and not even meaning to sometimes. And so we've got to be very careful when it comes to these things and realizing that, that, that this is a reality. 
And so when Jesus says, bless those who curse you, he's saying, look, there's going to be people in your life that have weighty words. And when they use weighty words to break you down, I want you to bless them. That's hard, isn't it? Can we, can we just be real? That's super hard. That's difficult. We're going to talk about how to do it in, in, in just a minute. And then the last one, the last choya is abusers. Abusers. Every shot abusers. All right. The word that Jesus uses here needs to be something that we are very aware of and we define very specifically. The word that he uses here is best defined as insult, misuse, and accuse falsely. Okay? This word does not describe any abuse of the physical nature. We have to be very clear that in no way is Jesus advocating a passive response to physical abuse of any nature, and for that matter, verbal abuse as well. Notice is indicative. Watch what Jesus says. He says, pray for those who abuse you. Why? Because prayer can still be a position of distance. Prayer can be a position of distance. And here is the hallmark conversation of those of us who try to follow Jesus, we believe somehow inherently that it's our role as a Christ follower in somebody's life to be the doormat. And I hear good people all the time say to me, man, I can't, I can't distance myself from this relationship because, man, I'm the only Jesus that they're going to see. And while you may be somewhat right about that, you are not Jesus. And you haven't been called to carry the cross that he carried. He said, carry your cross. And so sometimes we've got to distance ourselves from relationships that have a tendency to abuse us, but in no way are we meant to be people who don't love them. Listen, I've said this before. It's better to love at a distance than it is to hate in proximity. See, it's easy for me to love, if he, if he bothers me, if Pastor Justin bothers me and I got some stuff in between him and I, like I don't like his pink shirt and, and, and everything like that, <laughs> and if we got stuff in between us, it's easy for me to pray for him and love him from a distance rather than be in proximity and hate him and then have to take on the weight of that. And it's interesting, many of us get locked up and we're no longer living the free lives that God's called us to live is because we're so locked up and bound up with hate and bitterness because we're deciding that I need to hang on to this thing. Now, I know there's a nuance here, and that's those of us who are struggling in our marriages right now. And it's a very real reality. And there's a lot of nuances here because we're going to talk about commitment in a second. How does this work then with commitment and covenant and all these different things? And I know it's complex, but Jesus offers us some very strong words to help us work through this. So I want to look at, with the remainder of our time this morning, I want to look at how we do this. How do we love the prickly people in our life? Come on, show hands. Let's just be honest. How many of us have some choyas in our life right now? Come on. How many of you are the choya? Don't lift your hand. Stop. It's all right. (laughs) Self-disclosure will remain low this morning. I don't know about you, but I want to know how to do it. I want to know how I'm a practicum guy. I love to figure out how. Okay, cool. Jesus, I understand this. This is, this is awesome. I want to be that type of person. How? How do I do this? I got a couple things that we, we need to, we need to uh, jot down this morning if you're taking notes. Every shot number one for me. The first thing that we have to do in order to love the choice in our life is we have to love from a place of joy. We have to love from a place of joy. Love, here's the definition of love. To esteem, love, indicating a direction of the will and finding one's joy in something or someone. 
It's interesting that it's a matter of, of the will. How many of you would agree with me that we live in a generation that's very feelings-based right now? Right? Feelings. <laughs> we love our feelings, don't we? Man, we're all about our feelings. We're all about the way that I feel about something. Man, I just don't feel like it today, so I'm not going to do this. And I just, I don't feel like this today, or I don't feel like, like that today. Have you ever noticed, if you've ever combed the, 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 from cover to cover, that Jesus doesn't care about our feelings? He never once said, I hope that when I die upon this cross, you will feel like following me. He didn't talk about our feelings. But we live in a generation now where it's all about our feelings, how I feel about it. But love is not about feelings. It's about engaged will. Wait a second. You mean I have to decide to love? Yeah. Yeah, you do. See, my wife, we're going to teach together in a couple weeks, and we're going to talk specifically about marriage. And it's always fun, and it gets a little bit crazy sometimes, and it airs on the side of Rated R, just so you know. So um, <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> I'm just playing. Some of you are like, what? Um, we're going to talk about marriage. It's really, really, it's going to be a great, great time. Um, but Eric and I, we, we talk a lot about how our marriage is not built on what we feel for each other. It's about what we decide about each other. Because how many of you know that there are days that you don't feel like loving somebody? There are days when we were each other's enemy. I didn't feel like loving her when I was frustrated at her and she was frustrated at me and things weren't going the way that we thought they should be going. And it wasn't feeling. After, after 13 years of marriage almost, there are moments in your life, there are moments in our marriage where it doesn't feel like we thought it should feel. But the problem is, is that we've both decided that we are in this for the long haul. And since we decided, we're actually showing the other person the greatest measure of our love. Why? Because the greatest measure of your love is not what you feel, it's about what you decide. And this is the problem with the world that we live in, is that it's shallow love. It's shallow love because it's based upon feeling. Because whole, strong, pure love is that which is decided upon. And so we've got to understand that reality. But to do that, we have to love from a place of, of joy. Come on, we shout joy. 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 And it's so important. We've got to love from a place of joy. Now watch what Hebrews chapter 12. You guys love your Bible? Hopefully you do because here's some really profound scripture. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith and then it goes on to say this who for the joy who for the joy who for the j -j 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 joy <laughs> that was set before him endured the cross for the joy that was set before him endured the, the cross. This is where we can get our theology wrong is when we start believing that Jesus hesitantly and with, with this idea of restraint went to the cross as if he didn't want to do it. But the power of the gospel is not that. The power of the gospel is seen when we understand that Jesus actually had joy set before him. He wanted to go to the cross. Why? Because he was making an active decision of his will to love you and I. 
the power in it because a lot of us think that Jesus, God, is this distant kid in the sky with a stick who wants to beat us. But that's not who he is. It was the joy set before him that caused him to go to the cross. There was no hesitation. There was no idea like, man, oh, I really just, I hate, I don't want to do this. I don't like these people, but I guess I'll die for him today. Man, that's a great equation for my life. No, it was, he defiantly said against the enemy, I will not let you have these ones because I love them and I care for them and they've been created with a purpose and a design and so I will give my life for them out of my willpower and my desire because I love them so dearly that's the gospel we don't talk about the gospel that way because it comes becomes this vanilla mundane type of gospel but when you read the gospel for what it is it's this passionate blood-soaked desire to love us furiously that's Jesus that's who he is and then he calls us to do the same dang it for the joy set before him the second way we do this the second way that we love people who are prickly and hard difficult the choice is is we have to operate out of conviction we have to operate out of conviction Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 2 says I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God we actually read this piece of scripture last week as well to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind see conviction is what drives us when our emotions inhibit us In other words, when we operate out of our convictions, then we have the ability to do good even when good has not been done to us and we don't desire to do good. So we read this piece of scripture in Romans chapter 12, one through two, where Paul says, don't be conformed to the world around you because the world's way of doing thing is one equals one, right? If you do this, then I do this. If you give me this, then I will give you this. If you give me love, then I will give you love. So we equal everything out, but in the kingdom of God, it's different. In the kingdom of God, Jesus says it doesn't matter what somebody does to you, whether it's positive or negative, we've got to love. It's a matter of conviction, not just our feelings. So not only do we live and love from a place of joy, but we have to operate out of conviction. I've got to love people regardless. But the crazy thing is, is that whole system of you do this and you get this, that you're entitled to something, you're entitled to whatever it may be, the system of the world that we live in, that whole thing breaks down when you become a parent. Now, for those of you who who aren't parents in here yet, let me explain to you. The whole equation breaks down when you become a parent and you realize that no matter what they do or don't do, you still love them. That's the crazy part about it. I've got this little girl. Oh, Lord, help me. I've got two, two daughters now, which freaks me out every single time. Two daughters. Pray for a brother. One of my daughters is her mother incarnate. And she's strong-willed, and defiant, and passionate, sassy, and smarter than she should be. My seven-year-old already now wins arguments over me. Like, I just can't compete. And I'm like, you got that from your mom, didn't you? 
And I love her to death, but man. And so Erica and I, we're, we're, we're on this journey with raising this little, this little six-year-old girl who, man, she's going to change she can change the world. The other day, uh, we have this little elevated section in our house um, from our living room up to like to get to the kitchen. So it's like one step. And I, I tell you this story so you can kind of get where I'm coming from about this point. And so she's running around the house with a, like a pin, a marker, and she's like, she's like, where's my stage? Where's my, where's my stage? Find my stage. Where's, where's my stage? And I'm like, what are you talking about right now? So she's, she's walking around, and then she sees the elevated step, and her eyes just lit up, like lit up. And she, like, she stepped up here, like, and she got on her thing, and she's like, I'm now going to preach to you. <laughs> and I was like, are you? <laughs> right? <laughs> and so I'm not even joking about this. You can ask my wife. She proceeded then to speak for like 20 minutes on stuff I had no idea, and I'm pretty sure is theologically completely incorrect, right? But it was so awesome, right? And she started, we're going to start in Genesis. And I was like, are you, girl? You're going to start in Genesis. When are we going to? Revelation. <laughs> she's she's going to preach the whole thing. And so she started going, and she said, and God created man and woman, and man and woman were naked. And I was like... Somebody call Kaisa. What are we teaching in the kids' ministry? <laughs> and so she's talking through this whole thing, and I'm watching this little girl so strong and so fierce, but she uses that strength and that fierceness to defy us at the same time. And every, like, every bit of me when she does it, I'm like, oh, girl. <laughs> but it's like in that same exact moment that I love her with everything that I am, and it's the message of the world and the reality of the world starts to break down when you realize as a parent, no matter what they do, I still love them. Yeah. And that's the cross. Yeah. That is Jesus. And we can't wrap our minds around it because we've matured our way past it. But childlike faith says, oh, that, that's what it, while I was still yet a, a, just a sinner, and while I was still yet a choya, he still loved me. And then he says, pass it on. Operate out of conviction. Love people that are a little bit harder to love. Howard Hendricks, I think, sums it up best when he says, a belief is something you argue about. A conviction is something you will die for. Number three, the third thing we have to do is we've got to speak above the situation. We've got to speak above the situation. So when, when he talks about bless those who, who curse you, Ephesians 4.29 offers us this idea, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear you. Have you ever had somebody who came against you verbally, and then you offered them a compliment and you shut the whole thing down? Isn't that the best feeling in the world? <laughs> that you didn't have to actually trade negative for negative, but you could trade negative for positive? It's that idea that we've got to start blessing those around us with our words instead of spitefully using our words to try to combat what's been said to us. We've got to speak above the situation. 
You know, when my kids come home, my, my, my son, he's, he's going through school stuff right now, and he struggles in different areas and different places. He is a smart kid. But there was this one moment one night when we were sitting at the table, and we got this big, long table. It's a big wooden table, and, and uh, he's sitting there, and he's doing his homework, and he's got his hand on his head, and he's just so frustrated. And he bangs his fist down, and he says, I'm so dumb. And I went, whoa, stop that right now. Like, I got authoritative, and I stood up, and I looked at him, I said, no, 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 you're not dumb, you're not stupid, you're not any of those things that your mind and the world around you may put on you. I started to speak above this situation to let him know that he was something more than what he perceived himself to be. And we've got people in our lives or ourselves who are hurt, and so we speak out of that hurt, and we behave out of that hurt, and we fail to realize that we could actually change somebody's life if we would just use the power of our words to lift them up to who God's created them to be and words spoke into this person. So we gotta use our words to speak above the situation. And number four, the last one's this. We have to relinquish control. All right, let's be really honest. How many of us are control freaks in here? <laughs> right? <laughs> and the control freaks that were really in here decided they weren't going to raise their hand so they could control the situation. <laughs> nope, I will not raise my hand. I will not raise my hand. Nope, he's not going to make me. <laughs> if you've ever tried to wrestle with a choya, it becomes a very difficult moment in life for you. See, that afternoon when I had Choya in my knee and in my shoe and I'm trying to get it out, there was something that I was taught if you ever have a Choya ambush, <laughs> don't grab it. Don't grab it. And what I did that day was I was tempted to, to grab it and get a hold of it. So I had my club and I'm trying to like hit the Choya out of my, out of my foot. And I'm trying to scrape it off of my knee all the while, injuring myself more and more. And everything inside of me wanted to grab a hold of this, this thing just to, to yank it out. But the problem with the choya is that it starts penetrating other areas. But that's the nature of our humanity, isn't it? That we want to control these things. We want to put our hands around them. And I think it's an interesting picture for our lives because for a lot of us, we want to control the choya people in our life. We want to put our, our hands around them and try to, try to help and try to do this and try to do that. But when we put our hands around them, we have our moment of injury to a greater degree. And this is where the Bible encourages us to relinquish control. Stop trying to fix it. Stop trying to control it. But this is then... Where 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 comes in and teaches us such an amazing truth. It says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and, and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. What's he saying? Let go. Let go. Stop trying to con control this. And this is where prayer comes into play. 
My mom, when I was a kid, man, I was a, I was a goofball. I did some stupid things. I wouldn't necessarily call myself the atypical teenager. Um, I was proficient in rebellion, at least so I could get a good grade at it. And I know that there was moments in my life as a, as a young person that I, I, I hurt and I damaged people around me. I did some things that were definitely unbecoming of the person that God had called me to be. My mom, man, we'd go back and forth. She's coming here for Christmas, and I'm so excited to see her. And every time we get around this season where she started to come, I, I always find myself thankful for my mom because there was a certain point in time where my mom decided, decided to stop fighting the choya in her life, me. She let go of it. And she decided to do something else instead. She decided to pray. And some of you parents may know what I'm talking about. <laughs> some of you parents of teens may know what I'm talking about right now. Some of you parents of young adults and 20s and 30 year olds, you may know what I'm talking about right now. And she decided, okay, I'm not going to try to wrap my hands around this little choya plant. I'm going to let this choya plant be what it's going to be. And I'm going to allow God to do what God can do because he's the only one that can place his hands around this and not be damaged by it. So she prayed. And that woman prayed. I stand up here today, having lived the life that I've lived thus far, having what I've been able to receive by God's blessing in my life thus far, not because I'm awesome, not because of my willpower, not because of degrees of giftedness or smarts or anything like that. I will tell you every single day if you were to ask me, I am a product of one woman's prayers. And the faithfulness of the God that she prayed to. And so I offer up this to all of us this morning when it comes to the choya in our life. Never, ever, ever stop praying. Don't stop praying for your husband. Don't stop praying for your wife. Don't stop praying for your kids. Don't stop praying for our leaders. Don't stop praying for this nation. Don't stop praying for your coworker. Don't stop praying for your boss. Don't stop praying for your neighbor. Don't stop praying. Don't stop. Because it's in prayer. And with this type of faithful living, that I actually believe we can see the world changed. In Jesus' name. Come on, we can stand to your feet with me this morning.